Yes, welcome back to the City of the Great King podcast in our first non-Sunday school episode. Welcome. This podcast is the teaching arm of Tyler Sawatsky. That's me. Hello. A Christian minister in Windsor, Ontario. It serves to teach us about God's kingdom and proclaim it over the cities of Earth. Welcome. We're going to talk about something, something that I've been considering lately. Have you been enjoying the Augustine series, by the way? You can always check out the website, leave a comment, let me know what you think. If you haven't listened to it, the first two sessions are out. I would encourage you to give it a listen. You will benefit from it, I am sure. You know, you learn something when you put lessons together. There's There are principles of effectively teaching a lesson. So I'm going through Augustine, of course, and this is a man who was alive 1700 years, 16-1700 years before us. He's in a very different culture. Um, and when you're teaching about really anything, and Augustine of course is included, you can't teach everything that you study or everything that you learn when you go into a lesson. The principles of effectively teaching a lesson, you you got to figure out what your primary point is. And the primary point is going to be different for everything that you teach. But you're communicating one point and everything else supports the one point that you're trying to get across. So if in the latest session, or let's go to the first session, the primary point I'm trying to get across is raising children in difficult circumstances. Everything that I teach is now going to filter through that point. And I have to shave off what doesn't contribute. Right, so that'll mean that there's a lot of things that I learn and that I study which will not end up in the lesson, or in a lecture, or in a series, whatever it is. As able, of course. If uh, There's some things where, especially doing a study on a historical guy, you have to include the big points of his life, and figure out a way to weave those things into your primary point. So I say this because part of my study into this guy has, has brought me across certain stories, things that Augustine tells, that I think have teachable moments attached to them, but I can't get them into the into the lectures. And so I came across one of those such stories recently. Augustine, one of his best friends that he had from childhood who remained with him all through his teen years, through his 20s, his name was Olypius. Now, Olypius was much like Augustine. He was not a Christian, neither was Augustine for uh, until he was 30. Now, Olypius was a good friend, and he went through a pretty... Um, he went through an experience that taught him something. And the reason that we even know Olypius today, just for the record, is because he would end up becoming a bishop, a, a pastor of a city, and it was Tagas, the city that he grew up in, that Augustine and Olypius grew up in. But he didn't become a Christian till later, around the same time that Augustine did. And Olypius went through a certain experience when he was in his late teen, early 20s. He was in a city called Carthage. That was where Augustine was teaching. And he's walking through a marketplace. All of a sudden, police officers come and they arrest him. 
what is he getting arrested for? See, he was he was walking up, he was going around in this marketplace, and there was a thief there. And this thief, he brought a hatchet, and Olypius didn't know what was going on. But essentially what happened was this thief has a hatchet, he's going to the bars of this silversmith shop. He's hacking away at the gratings, trying to get in. But the noise of the hatchet could be heard from the silversmiths. And they began to call out in whispers, they know what's going on, they sent men to arrest whoever they should find. The thief heard the voices and ran away. And like any good thief, he drops the weapon, drops the hatchet. He was afraid to be caught with it, and he runs. Now, Olypius, he's going through the market as this is going down. He didn't see this thief come in, but he did get a glimpse of him as he was running off in great haste. He was curious. You don't normally see something like this, so he goes up to the place where the man who just ran by came from, and what does he find but the hatchet on the ground? He looks at it, he ponders, thinks it's strange, he picks it up, he's alone at, for, for a moment, for a few seconds, and of course, what happens? But the officers that were dispatched to go and arrest whoever was found back there, they find Olypius. They hold it, he's holding this hatchet, they seize him, they drag him away, they arrest him, they think that they have caught a notorious thief. So, now he's arrested. He, he's innocent, of course. He had no clue what was going on. But they suspect him of, of robbery. Now, he's being let off, and Augustine can't remember as he recounts this, if he's being let off to prison or to punishment. But as they're walking by, a master builder was coming by too. And this guy was in charge of public buildings. And the captors, they were happy to meet him. They were saying, look, we caught the notorious thief. We, we got him at last, thinking that they were going to greatly please this builder. However, this builder recognized Olypius because both he and Olypius had been guests at the house of a certain senator, and he recognized him, took his hand, put him up, took him to a, a private place a little bit away, and asked him, what is going on here? What's, what's happening? And Olypius explains exactly what happened, um, and also that he could recognize, he did get a glimpse of the guy who was the actual thief. So, so then this master builder, and they talk to the, to the soldiers, the officers, and they go to the house of the man who Olypius saw, and who answers the door is a young slave boy. Now this boy was not old enough to know the rules that you you know, you don't tell the truth if it's going to harm your master. He's, he's still so young. And they show the boy the hatchet, and they ask, whose is it? And the boy says, ours. And after that, they ask more questions, and the boy tells the whole story of what happened. Olypius is, uh, he's obviously innocent now. The boy gives a testimony against the real thief, and they arrest the real thief. Now, in recounting this story, Augustine says that Olypius had to go through this for a reason, right? Like, there's, there's purpose to this. Nobody could have known why this happens. It sounds so random. You just find a hatchet on the ground, you pick it up, now you're arrested. You're falsely accused. Name might be run through the mud, but why? Why would God allow this to happen? Now, neither Olypius nor Augustine are Christian at this time. 
but but later on, you're, even if you're not a Christian, though, you're thinking, why is this happening? Well, this is a quote directly from Augustine. I believe, O oh my God, that thou didst allow this for no other reason than that this man who was in the future to prove so great should now begin to learn that, in making just decisions, a man should not readily be condemned by other men with reckless credulity. Okay? So, what's going on here is that Augustine is saying there's no way Olypius could have known. Nobody could have known. But this was a training ground for the future job that Olypius would take. He would be a bishop, which at that time, it basically meant you were the only pastor in the city. It's not like today where you could go to 30 different churches. Like, you were the pastor of the church in that city. Everyone came to you. And so according to Augustine, Olypius had to go through this experience so much younger in life as a way to teach him about wisdom in situations that require making decisions of justice, uh, finding the truth, fact-finding, to not just so readily condemn somebody on the basis of an accusation. There are standards of evidence, the scriptures uh, give standards of evidence on the basis of two or three witnesses shall the charge stand. And anybody who doesn't ever go through something like that, or doesn't put in serious time and effort and study into knowing these things, will be far more likely to skirt on standards of evidence, or on making, um, condemning people with reckless credulity, as Augustine has written here. So, he needed to go through that in order to learn a lesson that would prove valuable later in life. And this is where we have to realize and be thankful that we're not the ones in charge. You know, the Lord's the one who brings these types of situations. So he had to suffer being falsely accused, being arrested, going through that process. He had to suffer and it produced a necessary quality in him where without the suffering, he would almost certainly lack that quality, or at least it wouldn't be as refined as it then became. See, for Olypius, there, there were no shortcuts. And that's really what I want to be looking at in this episode. There's, there's no shortcuts. He had to suffer in order to produce a quality in him. See, there's no shortcuts to growth. If, if you want to grow, I don't care what it is, in anything, if you want to grow, there's no shortcuts. None. You want to grow in a skill. Let's let's say, take a sport, for instance. You want to be a professional football player. You will not ever be a professional football player if the only time you ever practice is for an hour before game time. Right? To, to be the best you can be at football, you're at the gym every day. You're changing your diet so that what's going into your body is something that will um, that will fuel your body in the right way and keep out what shouldn't be there that will detract from the mission of being the best football player. That goes with your skills at your job, too. You don't just walk into a job and are completely and perfectly efficient in the skills required to execute the task. You have to grow in it. It takes, it takes time. There's no shortcuts to growing in your skill. 
There's no shortcuts to growing in knowledge either. You, <laughs> I've tried a couple times to uh, just get a, a Snopes version, if you will, of Bitcoin, trying to understand Bitcoin. And I'm just gonna say, you, you won't understand Bitcoin if you're just watching a five minute YouTube video telling you what it is. Okay, it, there's no shortcuts to growing in knowledge. You gotta put the time in, you have to put the work in. Quantum physics, that's going to take you time. It's going to take you work. There's no shortcuts. It's the same thing with growing in faith. You see, to grow in Christian faith and your knowledge in the faith and, and your knowledge of the Lord, these are things that take time. You need to go through some life experiences, typically. Uh, you got to spend a whole lot of time in the Word, that is the Bible, the Scriptures, times in prayer, times with other Christians. There are some things in the faith that you won't learn unless you are with, engaged with other Christians other and, and non-Christians too. You have to be with people in order to learn certain things. So there's no shortcuts there either. And this is part of the reason why the Apostle Paul puts a prohibition against um, making a pastor or making an elder of somebody who is a new convert. Right, so when it gives the description of what are the characteristics, the qualities that you're looking for in a pastor and in an elder, he forbids making a pastor of a new convert. They they will be tempted, they'll, they'll become prideful, they, they don't know enough, they'll fall. There are a lot of reasons for it. But there's no shortcuts to growing in the faith. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes work. It's the same with your character. I am reminded of a very famous passage out of Romans, Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, in order to get what's at the end there, this is, this is the classic chain, in order to get the end, this, this God's love and the Holy Spirit given to us, the, the hope that is there, not being put to shame, it actually starts with the suffering. Right? Well, he talks about faith, and then the faith, you will suffer once you put your faith. You'll suffer regardless whether you have faith or not, but after you have faith, you will go through a different type of suffering than the one who doesn't. And you have to go through it. There's no shortcuts to your growth in character. In order to get endurance, you need to go through suffering. In order to get character, you need to be persevering and need to be enduring something. It gives you character. And that leads to hope. It's a chain that has been true since before the Apostle even wrote that. I'm thankful that the Lord revealed it to him. Watch this video quickly. This is an interview from Kobe Bryant. He gave this interview a couple years ago about one of the things that separated him from the others. He became one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And he gave this interview, and he gives an advice about waking up earlier. Now, that's my purpose here isn't to encourage you all to wake up earlier, but just give this a listen. Is to try to be the best basketball player you can be, mm -hmm. right? 
To do that, you have to practice, you have to train, right? You want to train as much as you can, as often as you can. So if you get up at 10 in the morning, train at 11, right? 12, say 12, train at 12, train for two hours, 12 to two. Um, you have to let your body recover. So you eat, recover, whatever. You get back out, you train, start training again at six. Train from six to eight, right? And now you go home, you shower, you eat dinner, you go to bed, you wake up, you do it again, right? Those are two sessions, right? Now imagine you wake up at three, you train at four. You go four to six, come home, breakfast, relax, so, so, blah, blah, blah. Now you're back at it again, nine to 11, right? You relax, and now all of a sudden you're back at it again, two to four, and now you're back at it again, you know? seven to nine, look how much more training I have done by simply starting at four, right? And so now you do that, and as the years go on, the separation that you have with your competitors and your peers just grows larger and larger and larger and larger and larger, and by year five or six, it doesn't matter how, what kind of work they do in the summer, they're never gonna catch up, because they're five years behind, <laughs> right? So it makes sense to get up and start your day early because you can get more work in. Okay, so you see what Kobe Bryant did to separate himself from the others. He recognized that there were no shortcuts to him becoming the best basketball player. He was going to get up and outwork everybody. No one was going to outwork him. He knew that he had to do it in order to get to the highest level. And he didn't take shortcuts. He stayed in his schedule with his habits. And as he says, you, you go five years down the line between somebody who's doing the practice that Kobe's doing versus the person who just does, you know, your regular maybe three, four hours of training in a day. Add that up after five years. You're not closing the gap with how much Kobe has put in, with the work that he has put in. There's simply no contest. The, the gap will be so large that you won't just be able to close it. You know, young people often don't get this. Uh, usually you have to learn it the hard way, that there's no shortcuts, that you have to put the work in. We want things to be quick. We want to just gain instantly or through minimal effort the things that take years, years to know. You know, I even think of my own practices at our office. I try to come in early. I study. Uh, I check my emails. I respond to what I have to respond to. I organize my week based on the different appointments that I have, as well as lessons to teach, uh, sermons to write, things like that. And I start doing that, and I study. Then I tend to another administrative task, and then I'm back to the study. Then I'd interact with my coworkers, back to the study. I get in my car at the end of the day, audiobook. I get on my bike, podcast. Right? So in all these different places that I that I am available to be growing, to be learning, the time is being used for good habits and growth. You have to learn it the hard way though. This is where young people often don't get this but you do have to learn that there's no shortcuts to this. Now, how do you get the habits that will lead to this kind of growth? See, we, we all have habits, all of us we do, and 
sinful habits or destructive habits, these are often inherited by default, right? We learn them from our parents, uh, what, what they do we often pick up as habits of our own, and what they struggle in we often struggle in. We get it from friends, school, media, social media, uh, we get it from the internet, we even get it from church. From, from other church kids, you can learn some very bad habits from your environment around you, and they stick with you. Now, why do they stick? Why does a, a sinful, destructive habit stick? Well, it sticks because we love them. You wouldn't hold a bad habit or a practice of laziness or gluttony or whatever the poor habit is that is destroying your life, sapping your energy, taking away your ability to grow, you it's there because you love it, oftentimes. You get some type of relief from putting work in, it gives you a relief, a relief of some kind in your brain, whatever it is, but at the same time, you also hate them. See, that, that's why you don't feel good about yourself when you sleep in most days of the week. You, you know, you enjoy it because you get some of that extra rest, but you also don't enjoy it because you don't feel productive. You've wasted time. And what often needs to be the case, what is the case, is that a good habit will then come from loving something more. Loving something more is where your good habit will come from. Usually the prerequisite to this is that you are sick of your normal. The way that you typically feel, it might be joyless. You might not have much happiness in your life, or you feel like you're not very productive in what you do. You feel sluggish, you feel lazy, you, you, you don't get much done. You need to be sick of it. Or if it's another habit where you feel a lot of shame about yourself after you give in. You try time and time again to beat it, and you keep on failing. See, a prerequisite to getting a good habit is that you get sick of it. You both love and you hate your destructive habit. Well, you, you need to get sick of loving it and only despise it. Because if you don't, the allure will keep being there. I think about Kobe. If he was doing his morning routine, his whole day routine. He's doing that for three years, and he's like, all right, you know, I've separated myself, but uh, I think I can reward my body a little bit. Maybe we'll we'll skip the 4 a.m. workout. We'll, we'll just take one workout out. I still have three. Uh, I'll just take out the one workout. Would, would Kobe have been the player that he became if he cut that workout out, that extra one that he did in the morning, if he cut it out early? No, he wouldn't. See, that extra time, you can't replace time that you put in. A good habit usually requires that you get sick of your normal. And then you start putting in the work. And you fight through the inner excuses. You Even after you get a good habit in place, and it, it usually takes a couple weeks before a good habit really forms, you're putting the work in, you will get excuse after excuse given to you to stop. And these come internally, but they don't only come internally, from your own head, from your own uh, desire to slip back into poor habits. 
but it can even come from other people too. Because other people will realize, eventually, that something's different. Your, your priorities have shifted. You no longer waste so much time. You're more engaged in conversations. You have more intelligent things to say. The results of a good habit becomes apparent pretty quickly. Other people will notice, and other people might not like what's happening. And there's various reasons for that. On the one hand, I think a lot of people, since so many people are trapped in sinful, destructive habits, when they see somebody getting out of it, especially if you're close to somebody and you engage in these types of habits with a person, with a friend, and they start getting out of it and bettering their, their own life, you can become envious of that person. Or you can feel shame in yourself that you haven't been able to do that. You can get a lot of criticism from people when you grow. And that is the, another type of excuse that you got to fight through after you have put the work in. Other people will criticize. It's amazing how this happens. But they will criticize your growth. Or try to put you back a level. Take you down a peg. There are no shortcuts, though. That's the main point. You need to fight through the noise, fight through the excuses. Your own self will give you enough, and then other people will give you more. And it's important to fight through those, because if you want what the Apostle Paul talks about, this hope that comes from your character, which you gained through endurance that you had to receive by your suffering, which started through your faith, you want the end goal. You can't skip one of the links in the chain. Gotta go through the whole thing. Now, a primary application for me, especially if you are a Christian, I assume it's mostly Christians who are listening to this, but if you're not, there's still some, some value here. A kingdom builder cannot take shortcuts. I'm now thinking of the Christians who are most engaged and involved in the issues of the day and are being given ministries that have a lot of responsibility attached to it. Those who are shaping culture. You know, culture shaper, kingdom builder, whatever the title is, those who are doing the most, they don't get there by taking shortcuts. So if you're a Christian listening to this and you want to be faithful, a faithful witness to Christ where you are, it's important that you understand that you will not get to a place of influence to others when you are a slave to bad habits, okay? Or if you want to get the end result by skipping a few steps in the chain. You have to go through the suffering. You have to put the work in. There's no, there's no other way through it. And then the beautiful thing about this, as, a, as Olypius ends up learning as he is prepared now to deal justly with cases in the future when he does become a bishop. When you go through all this and you put in the time, you gather these good habits, you've, you've mortified these destructive habits, you realize at the end of it that you are a more content person. You have learned the contentment that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, where you can go through abundance or you can go through times of want. That is, you don't have anything. And you're content because the Lord has taught you to be content. And you learn that by being faithful to him in little things, which includes small habits at first. It's amazing how large 
and faithful something can grow just from innocent, tiny, smart starts. So start now. You want to be a kingdom builder? You want to be influential in the kingdom of God? There's no shortcuts. you got to put the time in. got to get good habits. Thank you for listening to the podcast today, City of the Great King. Enjoy the rest of this song and go in the name.